0: All righty, well, let's get started. So welcome to the Great Data Minds Author Series. Uh, This is our second. And uh, today I have uh, a dear friend of mine and and a great colleague, uh, John Thompson, uh, International Technology Executive. John's got about 30 years of uh, BI and advanced analytics uh, expertise and experience. and, And that's where John focuses, It's his passion. He's been a consultant, he's been an entrepreneur, um, he's an executive in Fortune 500 companies and author of today's topic book, Building Analytics Team, uh, which I just completed reading and it's a phenomenal work of art. Um, and uh, John is currently global leader of, van- of advanced analytics at the CSL Bering, which is a biotech uh, company, if I'm not mistaken. So, welcome, John. How Thanks are
1: brother. you? Thanks. I'm, I'm I'm great. Glad to be here. Thank you for that kind introduction. Really looking forward to the uh, the conversation. And thanks for the plug on the phone.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and, you know, it, it really resonates with uh, Julie and I, because in our practice, one of the uh, five pillars, and it's actually the foundational pillar, is an incredible focus on human um, and um, as we're going to see when we go through our discussions today, um, you you put a lot of focus on the people, and I love that. So, so why did you author this book, John, and and why now?
1: Well, it was uh, it's a great question, good way to start the dialogue and discussion. Uh, I was working at Dell a few years ago. Uh, I think that's where you and I met. That's and, right. Uh, and I was flying all over the world and I was meeting with non uh, technical C level executives, uh, COOs, CEOs, CFOs. And, and I noticed that they were very, they got they a sense of, of trepidation or reticence when we would talk about data and analytics. So I wrote the first book, uh, which is called Analytics How to Win with Intelligence. Uh, and then that was in 2017. And then in 2019, I started thinking, okay, it's time for a a follow-up book. And I I started to write a book on AI and ethics. And Mm -hmm. then I noticed that there were so many books out there on that topic that I just dropped it. And then it just came to me that instead of a book for executives, I needed to write a book for practitioners, Mm -hmm. people who actually were going to hire and manage and had to, you know, had to work with advanced analytics teams and the ecosystem in an enterprise organization. So uh, as you said, I've done this for over 30 years. I've, I've made every mistake you can possibly make. <laughs> and I thought, well, rather than other people fumbling around in the dark lo- the way I did, I'll write a book about it. Uh-huh. So I challenged myself. I sat down in, in January 1st of 2020. I started writing. And two and a half months later, I had 100,000 words. And then on uh, June 30th, we published the book. So oh, I, really awesome. felt, I really felt that the community could use a how-to book Mm -hmm. on how to hire and build and manage an analytics team.
0: So I'm picking up a hint that there was a targeted audience, but there was also an audience that you wrote the book for. That's true.
1: That's true. I I was intending to write, I, I did write the book for people who were hiring or were hired to establish an advanced analytics team in an enterprise class organization. Mm -hmm. So that was that was my idea. You know, the directors, vice presidents, executive vice presidents, anybody who had to build a team in a large organization. But what I also found was that uh, there were a great deal of students who were interested in it. People Mm -hmm. like Daniel, who's with us today at High Point University, uh, who's going through undergraduate or graduate uh, classes and have never been part of an advanced analytics team. So the book is proving to be a really nice guide to those younger folks in the industry on what to expect when you join the advanced analytics
0: team. Yeah, what am, what am I getting into here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's going to happen? That's cool. Um, so as I, met, I said earlier, um, this is really a comprehensive body of work. Um, and, and it hints to me that it's not only a book that you read end to end like a novel, but it could, it's got other value for me. Uh, Was that the intent?
1: It was, you know, the the first book I wrote is a primer, uh, I I thought, okay, I live in Chicago. So I use O'Hare as an example, a lot, since I go through that airport so much uh, that you could, you could get on a plane in O'Hare, fly to Heathrow. And in the, the span of the flight, you would have read the book. So that was kind of like, Hey, this is what you need to know. Here's a quick hit. You know, when when consultants come in and try to take you in different directions, you can have some kind of center on where you are. This book was actually meant that you put it on your bookshelf, you read it as you're going through your journey. Uh, you may have to go back to it, and refer to it over and over and over. So it's not only a how to book, but it's a reference book as well. Yeah. So, you know, if you get into a sticky wicket, uh, trying to understand how to manage executive expectations or. You're unsure as to how to select the best projects. You can always go back and read the book, and it was meant. It was written with an evergreen concept to it. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of trendy stuff in it. There's a preface about COVID uh, because the publisher pushed me to do that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's really meant to be something that is a, a a touchstone for the long haul.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I I, I love it uh, as a reference, just like that. So thank you for that. Um, So this isn't about organizational structure, though, is it?
1: No, there's very little about organizational structure. I do talk about how to structure an advanced analytics team as an artisanal team or a modular team, but I really don't talk about, you know, much about what organizational structure can do uh, to foster analytics or inhibit it. This is really more about what do you got to do on a day-to-day basis. Who do you hire? Who do you fire? Uh, You know, those kind of things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was picking up a hint, too, of, uh, hey, get ready embrace for change, because that's what advanced analytics is all about. Um, and that seems to be threaded throughout the book, too. Right?
1: Yeah, the, 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 one of the, the things that really kind of surprised me, you know, and, and you too, Mike, I expect, and probably Julie as well, is that, you know, as we're doing advanced analytics projects, you know, the majority of them do not fail when we're picking algorithms or integrating data or doing feature engineering, they fail because the larger organization, the broader organization is not ready for the change that is required to take advantage of the analytics and the models that we're building. So that was really kind of a a wake up call for me that Mm -hmm. we could do all this wonderful work and work for six months, nine months, a year, two years, and get to a point of where we know how to do this better and the organization just says we're not doing it. Yeah. So it was uh, change management is threaded through the book because it is a crucial element of the success of your analytics uh, initiatives.
0: Oh, gosh, we see that over and over again. Yep. Yep. It's crazy. So uh, what does good look like as an analytics team? How, how do I know I got a high performing
1: analytics team? Uh, good. Uh, that's a great question. Thanks, Mike. Uh, a good really looks like the fact that you're you're driving change. You're you're making a difference in the business. We just uh, <clears throat> we built a uh, forecasting model. Uh, I guess about a year ago now, and we were looking at it. And excuse me. <coughs> and we were thinking, there's there's more that could be done here. So we had the forecasting model working for a year at a daily level. So we took it down to the hourly level for three years. And the end users were looking at us and going, this is overkill. I don't need to know what's going on every hour of the day. So we then opened the kimono and said, well, what we're thinking about is we're going to intersect this forecast with your labor scheduling system. And they immediately, the the eyes opened up, the lights went on. They're like, you're kidding. And we're like, Mm. no. So, you know, we, we're on track to save somewhere between three and five million dollars a year in labor costs. So, that's just a, a very, very tight, a very detailed example of what good looks like. Mm-hmm. Good looks like you're having ideas, you're, you're sharing ideas with your line of business executives, your subject matter experts on how business can be done better. Mm-hmm. And that may be more customers, less customers, bigger shopping carts. Less fraud, uh, you know, more profit, better margins, whatever it is. I mean, when we denominate our projects, we denominate them because we're in the United States for the most part, and the, the operations that we're looking at. CSL is a global company, but we denominate it in dollars, and and sometimes that's hard for an advanced mm-hmm. analytics team because you're extrapolating and postulating and assuming adoption curves and rates and usage and things like that, but. When we go to talk to C-level executives, they want to know, know, okay, you had, you know, a data scientist working on this for four months, Uh, you know, what's the return on investment? And when I tell them, well, it took us four months, it's probably $25 million a year. Uh, Again, you know, the Mm -hmm. eyes open up, the lights go on, they're like, oh, oh, that's what good looks like.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And and there's a hint too that these analytics teams are different. Is that real or is that? (laughs) self-perceived? <laughs>
1: no, it's real. It's absolutely yeah. real. Um, I can't remember who said it. I think it might've been Mark. No, I do no, not know. It was Mark Andreessen that, you know, he was talking about the neurodiverse spectrum. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have managed many, many, many people who are on the spectrum. And I, I have a feeling that in the end, we're going to find out that people who are neurodiverse are, are the norm and those that are normal, what we consider normal today, are the minority, uh-huh. uh, at least in advanced analytics anyway. So that's one aspect to it. You know, we have some, some interesting uh, people in the way they think, but also advanced analytics teams are creative teams. You know, and, that, and that's something that I haven't heard anybody talk about before. And, and the reason I say that is that, that you're looking at problems, you're looking at strategic challenges, and you're formulating solutions. That's not something that you're going to have a, a COBOL programmer do, even if any <laughs> programmers even exist anymore. Hey,
0: be careful there. <laughs> I know, I know. You, it's you and me. It's you and me.
1: Um, so, you know, they're, they're creative people. So, you know, when people come to us and say, you know, hey, I'd like to understand how we can do this better. You know, we go away and we look for internal and external data sources and we bring it together and then we go through a process of trying to come up with a better way to do it. That is inherently a creative process. Mm-hmm. It's nowhere near the same, it's not the same at all of putting in an SAP ERP system or a CRM system. There's some, there's some experimentation in there. There's some failure in there. There's some innovation in there. So you know, one of the things that is incumbent on us as analytics leaders, is to communicate to these uh, executives, these uh, C-level and senior vice president, executive, vice president, executives, that there is a part of this process that is, is very difficult to forecast. It's almost like that cartoon we used to say, the magic happens here mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you're trying things and you're failing, and you're succeeding and you're, you're moving back and forth in the process. So analytics teams, by no, 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 no stretch of the imagination, are creative teams. They're not mm-hmm. IT development teams at all. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, and
0: what is the original sin? <laughs> Tell me about this.
1: Yeah, I was, I was, I was writing the book and it just kind of popped into my head and I thought, well, that's kind of catchy. I'm sure that'll catch people's attention. Um, yeah, yeah. the <laughs> Done. Uh, yeah. The original sin in, in the, the way I describe it in the book is that, When organizations look at an analytics team and they say, well, you know, there's algorithms and there's data and there's some kind of computing in there, that's an IT function. Mm -hmm. So whenever you put the analytics team under the CIO, I think you've already failed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And people don't know it. It's like when you make mistakes, you just don't know what the ramifications are. And I've seen it over and over again. I had a call yesterday with a, a young man who's at an organization and they hired him as the sole data scientist, they put him under the CIO and he's been there for two years and he's, he's struggling. He wants Mm -hmm. to quit. He doesn't want to do anything. So two years ago, they made this decision and now they've spent, you know, probably half a million to three quarters of a million dollars. They're a small company and they've got nothing. They've Mm -hmm. got a frustrated employee and they have no, no, no value being generated. So, you know, Two things in the original sin: number one, putting it under the technology department, and number two, hiring one person to do it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Uh, so, hey, Mike. Yeah, uh huh.
2: Mike, Mike, it's not even Wednesday.
0: I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so, our buddy Todd um, from GNS, how have you found the best way to balance the support of creativity and the need for execution consistency?
1: Mm. That's a great question, Todd. Um, You know, the way we do that, the way I do that is, is I have implemented a a something called the personal project portfolio, the, the PPP. And creative people need to be able to time slice across different projects. So, you know, each data scientist in my group has two major projects and a major project is something that'll take, you know, probably six to nine months to a year to two years to do. Uh, They'll have a set of three or four small projects that may take a month or two. And they have to also do service requests. We get, you know, it seems like every month there before a board meeting, four weeks before every board meeting, a bunch of executives show up. I need to understand this. So Mm -hmm. we do service requests to help them understand different parts of the business. So that allows the data scientists to time slice between different projects. So you have more projects, you have a portfolio to work on. So you end up with uh, averaging out, you end up with the ability to focus on the creative aspect of things, but you also have enough work to prove that you have execution throughput at the same time.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's awesome. So, you know, if we turn our sights to, okay, we have an idea of what a successful team looks like and we have an idea of of what we want to achieve. Excuse me. If we turn our sights to building these teams out now, Um, when I looked at the organizational context, what struck me was, wow, it's an incredible breadth and amount of domain knowledge that has to be built up. So back to your point, uh, of the one part of the original sin, don't hire one person. Um, what's going on here with, um, putting together a functioning team, you know, is it, I'm sensing it's, it's the the tribe, you know, almost,
1: right? Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever used the concept of a tribe to describe it, but it is true. Um, I often talk to uh, people and I, I speak to data science groups at universities all the time. And, and I my counsel to younger folks when they're coming into the industry is don't oversell yourself. And mm-hmm. I, I don't have anybody on my data science team that knows everything. I have one person who's really good at natural language processing. I have another person who's excellent with neural networks. I have another person who's just an incredible statistician. Uh, But, you know, none of them know everything, you know, Mm -hmm. and and we do put them on different projects and try to cross train and learn and do those kind of things. So we're very good in understanding the math, but not everybody's good at all the different math. That's for sure. And then you said something earlier about domain knowledge in your remarks. Mm -hmm we i hire people who are data scientists pure data scientists i work for a biopharmaceutical company my team works in a biopharmaceutical company but Mm -hmm. none of us have any background in pharmaceuticals whatsoever so we don't do a project unless an executive that runs the area we're doing the project for dedicates a subject matter expert to the project great you can do the data we can do the math they know the business processes they know the objectives they know the subject area of the business together that's an incredibly powerful team like you mm-hmm. said it takes a tribe it takes a team because nobody can know all of it
0: right right and you... and oh, I'm th- sorry uh, just just a follow-up that that hints to uh, um, the um, there's typically a problem with uh, AI getting it operationalized. That's, you know, that last implementation step because the business isn't ready to adopt and adapt to it. But if you've got your domain expert on the team from the start, um, that's got to promote adoption down when we're ready to deploy.
1: There's a couple of things there, um, you know, mixed into, into that discussion topic is that yes, the subject matter expert creates ownership in the business unit area. They're reporting up to their manager, who's reporting up to an executive. <clears throat> they've brought their time and energy and expertise to it. They get excited because a lot of times we're seeing, you know, how to do something dramatically different. You know, you're two xing, three xing, ten xing. Sometimes the results. So they they do have ownership there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's incumbent also on me and you and all us leader, analytics leaders to have the conversation have the lunches, the drinks, the Zoom calls with the executives that says, you know, hey, the project's going really well. And in eight months from now, we're going to be ready to put this into production. We're going to have to do some process reengineering. We may have to do some upskilling. We may have to do some reorganization of the function. And that's all has to come from you. Mm-hmm. I, I can enable you. I can give you all the, the, the tools and the power and all that to realize the value of the work that we've done but I can't finish the last mile without your sponsorship.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Uh, sales and marketing. We stink at it. Don't we? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, for the most part. Yes.
2: Not all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so so Jimmy, Todd, did you have something? Yeah. 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 I was um, going to see if Alexis, if she's there could, um, unmute Todd cause he's got a couple really good questions. Sure thing. And let Todd go ahead and ask those if you don't mind, Todd. He's like, well, now I got to unmute. <laughs> hmm. You know what I think I'll do, I'll ask and then pop in, Todd, if, if you fix your um, audio. Okay, okay. the first, first one is how do you balance specialization, gen, comma, general, generalist knowledge, career development, and consistent delivery to the clients?
1: Good question, Todd. Uh, you know, we do that through the, uh, the personal project portfolio. Of course, you know, it is a creative function, but we do have timelines. We do have deadlines. We do manage all our projects to, uh, you know, a, a project plan just like everybody else. Um, we manage specialization in, usually in our team through technology. Like I said, natural language processing, neural networks, statistics, people are usually specialized in that area. We are generalists from a from a, just a business perspective. We augment our generalists with subject matter experts, as we talked about. Career development is, is pretty much the same as you would in any other function. You know, I've got people who are young and aggressive and assertive and want to move up and need to be exposed to different challenges so they can grow in their career. I've got uh, a couple older uh, employees that have no desire to move up and do anything more. They're happy where they're at. I've got a couple people dabbling, you know, mm-hmm. that, the you know, we've created a track in the organization where you can go up and be, you know, a, a data, junior data scientist, data scientist, senior data scientist, principal data scientist, and you can have increasing responsibility, increasing compensation, or you can go the other track and you can go up and be a manager as well. So mm-hmm. I've got people that are kind of of two minds on how they want to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, consistent delivery to clients. We manage that every week. We have a team meeting. Every two weeks, I have one-on-one meetings with everyone on my team. And every week, there's a technical meeting that I purposely do not attend because they want to argue about very technical Mm -hmm. things. And when the boss is in the room, uh, you know, people don't talk the same. So I make sure that the team can have time where they can sit around and talk about things that I've made mistakes on. And they usually nominate someone to, uh, you know, get the, the the joyous duty of coming, telling me when I've I've erred uh, and how I can do it better. So I guess the thread through all those comments is communication, mm-hmm. open, active, proactive, probing, consistent communication.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you, Todd. Those are great, great question. Um, so, where's the most fertile sources for some of our talent?
1: You know, that's a great question. I, um, I tend to like to uh, bring in interns and, you know, I look, we look for interns as early as, as freshman year and undergraduate. Mm-hmm. So we'll bring in, you know, young uh, interns and we will take them through their entire college career, you know, summer of freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, uh, and really get a good look at them and we give them hard work to, to do. Uh, and then at the end of that, you know, we'll, if they want to work with us and we want to work with them, we'll hire them, bring them on full time. We, uh, do hire experienced people. And, you know, at this point in time, we look for people that have three to five to seven years experience as a data scientist and, uh, you know, bring them into the team and drop them into the deep end and see how they do. So (laughs) we do a little bit of both, but mostly we focus on hiring towards more towards the entry level and, Mm -hmm. uh train them and teach them on how we want them to be a data scientist. So
0: I'm picking up hints of diversity and, and inclusion here. Is mm-hmm. that is that primarily or just um, to make sure we meet the anti-discrimination regulations? Or is there something more to that?
1: You know, we don't really think about that too much. I mean, that's really an HR legal issue. Uh, you know, we really look at, We try to you know we recruit actively to make sure that we have a diverse and and inclusion inclusive group in our our population we have you know folks from all different backgrounds and genders and things like that which is good you know we all want diversity in our in our employee pool and especially in a creative function like data science Mm -hmm. um you know and and it tends to i mean it just tends to skew younger um you know it's a young field with a lot of people coming into it uh Mm -hmm. we had built a neurodiversity program, Uh, you know, worked with, I I called up Michael Dell, spoke to him about the neurodiversity program they have at Dell. He connected me with all the people there at Dell that I needed to talk to. We talked to Microsoft and EY and, and a few other organizations and we've got a neurodiversity program on the shelf ready to go once we get past COVID. So you know, we're all about, you know, all elements and aspects of diversity, but it's, it's just something that is imbued in our mindset and organizational operations. It's not something that we have to think about in a special way.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so what does, uh, how, how do I know when my team is there, they're high performing? What,
1: how do oh, I know? You know, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah you know, when, when your projects are coming in and, you know, your models are delivering and, you know, you're, you're, you're delivering real impact to the organization. Uh, you know, you, you, of course you do projects and they fail. There's no doubt about that. We get out on the edge and we do things and, you know, we think, Hey, this is really going to be something. And then we find out nah, it really is nothing. It didn't mm-hmm. work out. So, you know, we have a project going on right now where, we're taking proxy information from a couple different third-party vendors and we're synthesizing that into a new data source that's going to give us a competitive view of the industry that no one else has. Mm -hmm. There's no financial analysts that have it. There's no technology analysts that have it. There's no subject matter experts in the pharma industry that have it. When we exposed this to the executives at CSL, they were absolutely flabbergasted. So I think when you're doing... Uh, whole cloth innovation, that's one dimension of success. Another Mm -hmm. dimension of success is operational improvement. You know, Mm -hmm. some of the things we talked about earlier, the labor scheduling, three to $5 million in savings, that's significant. Mm -hmm. You know, when you are making a difference for the business and the C-level executives are having conversations and they're saying things like, have you brought the advanced analytics team into this? Mm. You know, you're on the right track. Yeah,
0: no kidding. Um, and data scientists, I, I, I have worked with several of them. They seek purpose,
1: right? Yes. Seek
0: purpose to a better society. I see that so many times with those guys. Oh, you're
1: you're absolutely yeah. right. Let's let's riff on that just for a little bit here. Okay. You know, data scientists do crave purpose. They want to do things that are make a difference and. You know, when a project gets shelved and it doesn't doesn't work and and the line of business doesn't see the value, that really, really cuts to the quick and to the core of the data science teams. You know, part of the other reason that I do the personal project portfolio is that data scientists really do care deeply about what they do and they try things and and we've created a, a safe space that they can fail, but still no one likes to fail. You know, it, it, another reason for that ability to time slice between projects is that you'll have someone working on a project and they'll be doing it for, I don't know, weeks or months or whatever it is, and they'll get to a dead end and Mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll, they'll kind of freak out, you know, and, and I used to get these calls all the time. It's like, oh my God, I've been working on this for six months and it's, it's dead end and I'm going to get fired and I've wasted all this money and time and oh Lord, what am I going to do? Um, now what they can do is they can quietly have that freak out they can focus Mm -hmm. on another project. And then typically within a day or two, they're like, "Ah, I solved the roadblock, then they Mm -hmm. can go back to that other project. And I've often had my data scientists come to me and say, you know what, because I own this portfolio, it gives me real comfort that if I run into a roadblock, it's not catastrophic. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I've got other good work to focus on, I can let this go into my subconscious, I can sleep on it, I can think about it over time. And more than likely I'm going to solve the problem. So you Mm -hmm. really end up raising the level of personal autonomy, authority, accountability, and, and confidence in your data science team.
0: I just heard lean agile principles coming out there, right? Uh, It's intrinsic value in in the individuals. So
2: your jam, Mike, me. that's your jam. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it is my jam. <laughs> <laughs> now we got so, a good
2: question. Um, curious, data scientist and data analyst, different or the same?
1: Great question. Um, virtually the same, in my opinion. Uh, I think we can draw a straight line from uh, you know business analysts to data scientists. Uh, you know, of course, there's nuances there. We could talk about this for days. Um, I, I, I like data scientists because it's a a great title and it implies, you know, more uh, rigor in the work than a business analyst does. Uh, You know, lots of titles get thrown around in in many, many, many different roles. The the two roles that I do delineate uh, pretty clearly on is a data engineer and a data scientist. And also there's a third one in there, which is a visualization expert as well. So I talk to many people that say, I want to be a data scientist. I think it's fantastic. And I'm like, well, do you know anything about it? And they're like, nope, but I hear it's good. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Well, you know, go out to Kaggle, Kaggle.com, and, and play around with some, you know, competitions. You don't have to compete, but just use the exercises to see what you think. And then come back and they're like, yeah, I, I really hated that. I didn't like it. It was no fun. And, and I'm like, that's what data scientist does. So you don't want to be a data scientist. And Mm -hmm. I have other people come back to me and say, boy, I really love that data munging stuff. I love getting the source and figuring out, you know, how I can integrate it with other things. And I'm like, you're a data engineer, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, and then there's a natural growth from being a data engineer to being a data scientist. You don't have to make that movement, but you can. So I I, I delineate on those pretty clearly. Cool.
0: Very cool.
2: Okay. Hey, Sorry, keep interrupting. Maybe not opportune time. I can save some of these for towards the end.
1: No, no, no. Let's
0: Let's do this one and we'll travel down through the book a little bit and then take some more.
2: Yeah. Okay. So um I'm gonna let Raj come off. So Raj, if you are there, I see you're on mute, but Raj has a nice long question. So we're gonna take him and let him come off mute. But Todd has another one. Um, and Todd, I don't know if I'm gonna ask for you. How have you created that safe and supportive yet productivity, competitive and collegial God, I can't talk today, atmosphere on the team?
1: You know, uh, Todd, it's a, a, a great question. What we do is that we make sure that everybody understands that we're working together. And, and we do that through the, the team environment. You know, no, one, no one's criticizing anybody for their, any personal attributes. You know, that we make sure that any kind of conversation is really focused on the work and the work product and the math and the data. Uh, and then another thing that we do is that we put data scientists on each other's projects. So sometimes this data scientist is leading, sometimes that data scientist is leading, you know, they're learning from each other so, you know, everybody understands and knows that while you're the lead on this project, you know, in six months, you might be the, the support person. So uh, everybody needs to play nice and and work together well. Okay. Cool. And, Thank you, Todd.
2: And, and I just got a message from um, my mighty leader that we're gonna go ahead and keep going through some more stuff. And then we're gonna come back to Q&A towards the end. We got yeah. a lot. Uh,
0: let's let's l- let Raj talk. It looks like he got himself off mute.
2: Good, good. Raj. <laughs>
3: Hey, John, uh, thank you very much for uh, the explaining uh, the process of building analytics teams. I am, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, thank you. Is, so I have been through various organizations where analytics teams were set up, advanced analytics teams were set up very early on only to see that they failed miserably mm-hmm. because the organizations were not ready to support and give them the environment for them to flourish. Would you please uh, share your thoughts on what makes an organization ready, or what are the necessary components in an organization to make these advanced analytics teams yield success?
1: It's a great question, Raj. And you know, I'm sorry for any of the failures you had to uh, suffer through through the process. I've, I've certainly been there. I've I've been part of those successes and failures. One of the one of the things that is, is absolutely crucial is that the top level, the C-level executives and the next level down, the SVPs, the EVPs are ready to uh, embrace the change management required and ready to invest in the systems that will be able to realize the value from advanced analytics. Um, it, you can do all the fun and interesting work we want, but if it doesn't get put into production, then it doesn't get realized. If it doesn't get realized, then it comes back around that hey, we invested in this team, but they're not driving change. So why do we need them? They're failing. Well, mm-hmm. it's not really the advanced analytics team that's failing; it's the organizational change management function that's failing. So I think that's one thing. Uh, I'll tell a little bit. I'll, I'll extend on that a little bit. Is that you know we did a project about a year ago, and we gave the models the they were. We put in really nice UIs on them so people could use the models and they didn't even know what they were manipulating. But, uh, you know, we gave it to them and it was it was the original part of the forecast that I talked about earlier. And the forecast itself was single error terms. Uh, the forecast they had before was high double digit error terms. Um, the The model itself that we built took nobody to run. It was automated. It ran every day, was available. The previous model took 35 people and was only available four times a year. Uh, And it took them about six months for them to come back and say, you know, this is really interesting. It's always there. It's always accurate. It's always better than what we had before. I think we'd like to adopt it. Mm -hmm. Now as an analytics professional, you know, we're pulling our hair out saying it's been six months, but having suffered the slings and arrows of adoption before, I knew it was going to be something like six months. So they came to us and said, well, okay, how do we use this as a regular, everyday, formal forecast? So we had already figured that out. So we set that up for them because we had time to think about it. Then they came back to us and said, well, we've got 30 plus people. Uh, What are they going to do? We had already thought about that. So we said, why don't you cross-train and upskill them to be business analysts rather than spreadsheet jockeys? And that worked out really well. So nice. we, have be, we have to be proactive. We have to almost predict you know, what the organization is going to do. And we have to be a couple steps ahead of them. And we have to be patient, which yeah, very, is not really our strong team.
0: Very consultive oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, John, um, I'm managing and I'm growing the team now. Uh, you know, Growing the team implies a growth in demand for the work products. Mm-hmm. How do you cultivate the demand?
1: Uh, the great thing about it is if you do it right, and you're successful in your early products, you don't have to cultivate it. You, you, it's a pull function. Mm-hmm. You know, we did our first five, six projects and all of them were successful because we were very careful about what we selected. Mm-hmm. And we wrote up case studies and, and results examples and we spread them all over the organization. So the people that we did the work for actually had con- this is pre-COVID. You know, sitting in the, in the conference rooms and in the uh, lunch rooms and in the cafeteria singing the praises of the advanced analytics team. So, you know, other people just started showing up saying, hey, you, you did this for them. Can you do this for me? And, you know, so it was, there was no demand generation other than success in the early stages. And then packaging those results to where people could understand what they were. Yeah. Telling
0: their story. So let's turn our uh, sites to the leader the leadership of analytics teams. What does that person look like? Any key traits or? <laughs> they look like John Thompson.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, uh, obviously I'm, I'm biased in this area, but I, I think having been there and done that is hugely successful or hugely helpful. Uh, it's helpful to the the organization to have confidence in the leader. It's helpful in the team have confidence that the leader knows what they're talking about. I, I'm a lapsed developer, as we talked about. I started out with assembly, you know, way back when in the early 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Branch and link to register 14. Um, so, you know, and I've grown up with data warehousing, business intelligence, advanced analytics, neural network statistics, you know, and there's very few things that I haven't personally done. Mm -hmm. So when I sit down with the team, the team, I let them know I'm lapsed. I'm, you know, we're near current in what's going on, but I read a lot. So we had a conversation last week about a a convolutional neural net and should it be a long short-term memory architecture or should it just be a bog standard neural net? And, you know, I knew enough to be dangerous in the conversation. And later on, the the data scientist who was developing the, the project came back to me and said, Wow, that was impressive. I had no idea that you, you know, even knew what you were talking about, which is kind of offensive. But that's okay. <laughs> they're, they're young, um, but uh, you know, I think experience. I think experience counts. I think uh, communication is important. Uh, you know, being being cognizant of you know people's intentions and being able to understand where they're stressed and where they're not. So it's high EQ, high uh, SQ. You know. And a little bit of IQ mixed in there certainly
0: doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't hurt. Yeah. And, and the leader of these analytics teams, you offered offered some remarks earlier. Sounds like they're they're managing in many directions.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's usually managing the team is the easiest part of your job, you know. And and we all tend to gravitate towards what is easy and what we like. So we as analytics leaders need to push ourselves out into the organization and meet with the C-level executives. I, I don't have any issue with that, you know, you know that. I sit and talk to Michael Dell and, and other mm-hmm. people that are running you know, multi-billion dollar organizations that doesn't, doesn't hurt me or doesn't scare me. But as analytics leaders, we need to push ourselves to be with the executives as much as we possibly can. Once we've got the confidence of those, those executives, and that they believe that we're there making a difference in a, in a significant and substantial difference. We don't really need to spend all that time with them, but we do need to build that relationship. Then we need to be with the vice presidents and the EVPs and SVPs, making sure that when we're doing projects with them, they're on board, they're with us, they're sponsoring, they're, they got our backs and, mm-hmm. and they're putting in their funding and their teams to do it. So yeah, you're managed. And then don't forget there's vendors too. You know, you're buying technology from vendors, you're bringing in consultants, you're, you know, you're managing, you know, in a, in almost every direction possible, Mm -hmm. um, which makes it fun.
0: Yep. Fun for the leader. Definitely. So, um, the role of chief analytic officer or or the concept is, Mm -hmm. is, and the chief data officer, um, what level of evolution do you think these roles are in our industry now? You know, I see it kind of percolate a little bit and then it kind of goes, you know, yeah. Down.
1: Yeah. It's, it's like it rises and falls. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're in an ascendant phase right now. Uh, I've seen a lot of chief data officer roles pop up. I've seen fewer chief analytics roles pop up and mm-hmm. you, that makes sense to me because we're, we're at a point of where we've evolved through transactional systems and uh, data warehousing systems, BI, dashboarding. Now we're actually evolving into analytical environments. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that the organization, if you're thinking linearly, would attack the data side of it first before they Mm -hmm. attack the analytics side. I think of the CDO role as more of a a defensive role, getting everything ready to do analytics. I think it's chief analytics officer is more of an offensive role. Someone mm-hmm. who's going out and making a difference and driving the change. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did a roundtable discussion in the UK uh, about a week ago with a bunch of probably 20 different leaders uh, in large organizations across the UK, and they were lamenting that there's almost no chief data officers in the UK at all. Hmm. So while we think that we may be ebbing and flowing and not moving as fast as we want, we're moving the fastest in the world. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. You know, I think the roles are ascending. I think there's more CDOs. I think we'll see more CAOs soon. And other parts of the world are looking at us and saying, you know, how, how can we get on this bandwagon?
0: Oh, that's encouraging. I like that. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to, you know, managing in multiple directions. In Chapter 5 and Chapter 6, you talk about managing the expectations and the engagement Um expectations with the executives. And then there's another l- level of focus around engaging the business professionals. Can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, engaging with executives is is interesting. Um, you know, they read a lot of very high level publications, they get some, you know, interesting ideas from those publications, or they create some perceptions in their mind uh, of their own thinking. Uh, and, and I, constantly say this and, and I do it with tongue in cheek a little bit and try to have a little bit of levity in the conversation is that we are data scientists. So we have to have data to do our work. If there's no data, that's magic. And we are not magicians. So, you know, sometimes people come to us and say, we want you to predict, you know, when customers are going to show up and how much money they're going to spend and, you know, when they're going to have their next child and what car they're going to buy. And, you know, it's like, we don't do that. That's that's not possible. Um, You know, some of those things we can do and do quite easily. Uh, So expectation setting with executives are usually bringing them back to reality. Um, Managing with the 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 um, the vice president, senior vice presidents and those kind of folks is managing the time frame expectation and the impact expectation. Because generally we've gotten past the fantastical conversations about what we can and cannot do and we're actually working on a strategic challenge. So, you know, often people will not realize the amount of work that goes into getting the data and getting it into a form where you can then do an advanced analytics project and then come back iteratively and say, okay, it looks like we can 10 X this function. And, you know, when you come back with us, then, you know, the lights go on, the eyes open up and that kind of stuff. So that is then usually it's a, once they get, you set the book, mm-hmm. uh, then it's managing the timeframes. Because yep. of course, everybody wants the impact tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd like you to get the project done ASAP and get it in and see the impact as soon as possible. But we do have to work within the realm of reality.
0: Yep. Okay, great. Um, and then you, you, you hinted to selecting um, winning projects. What does a winning project look like?
1: A Winning project is is usually, you know, a lot of people talk about, hey, I have to go out and create these things that I'm going to work on. No, you don't. There's Businesses have lots and lots of strategic challenges as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, pricing is an issue. Supply chain is an issue. Customer acquisition is a problem. So, uh, you know, channel contention is an issue. Uh, so you really just need to listen closely to executives. And, you know, in, in the few statements that they will make to you, you will hear, what the strategic problems are. So you wanna work on something that is strategic to the organization that can move the needle. You wanna work Mm -hmm. on something that you can get the data to work on. And you Mm -hmm. wanna understand, is this a project? Is this just something you need a number for? Or is this a program? Somewhere Mm -hmm. we're gonna have to really have an an extensive change management regime to get this stuck into the production systems that's gonna make a difference over a long-term. And maybe Mm -hmm. a project leads to a program but you need to set those expectations.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that that kind of bleeds right into the oper- operationalization considerations for analytics. Um, um, can you share uh, some thoughts there? Do you have any kind of key considerations or a rubric?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, a project is easy to do. You know, for the most part, they're 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 very simple. You know, you take on a problem, you understand you can solve it, you solve it, you give someone a number, and you walk away. Uh, you know, often then they'll come back and say, Ooh, you know, can we have this on a regular basis? Well, that's a program. So, you know, you want to look at, you know, operationalizing the, the entire data science process. And, and as I said, that's a creative process that has some fungibility in the middle of it, but Mm -hmm. then when you move over to the production side, you know, especially in pharmaceuticals, that's a regulated process that needs to run on a very, you know, repeatable, governed you know kind of process mm-hmm. so you need to make sure that you understand you're going from this kind of creative process that has some flux and flow into it into a production process mm-hmm. you need to have a change in mindset and how you're talking about it because if mm-hmm. you're talking about the production side of the world the way you do talk about the data science world you are going to make these people crazy they are not going to be able to work with you because they'll say they're too loosey-goosey they don't understand the rigor that we need to work in they don't get it. They're, they're, you know, we just can't work with them. No way. So you change your mindset. You change your communication paradigm. You talk to them in the sense of, of rigorous, methodical, production-based systems. And you figure out how can you insert the, the results from over here into this system in a way that's going to drive continuous improvement. Mm. So you need, to, you need to be aware you're going from one paradigm to another And you have to work in their paradigm because you're there to help them. You're not there to tell them that they've, you know, they don't know what they're doing because they do know what they're doing. More than likely, you don't know what they're doing.
0: Mm -hmm. You don't know what they know.
1: That's right. (laughs) That's right.
0: So, salute these these analytic solutions um, have life cycles Hmm. that we have to manage. Right. Cool. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about managing the new analytics ecosystem. There's a new one out there. (laughs) well
1: for most people beyond uh you know what you and i know and and what we're living in it's new to most people uh you know you know we've gotten into an era of advanced analytics and data science and and you know it is it is a different world for some people so when you're talking about it from the broadest possible sense it's new to most of the people that we're talking talking
0: Mm -hmm. to and we're not just talking about technology when we say ecosystem, are we?
1: No, 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 no. We're we're talking about the broadest definition of an ecosystem. We're talking about math. I mean, basic math, R and D math. We're talking about vendors and technology. We're talking about data. We're talking about feeding it into production systems. We're talking about feedback loops. You know, it, it's it's a you know, it's basically you know, if you really want to take it to the highest level, it's the organization becoming truly data driven. Mm-hmm. because yeah. it is the new analytics ecosystem. You are changing almost every element of the organization. Yeah, it's int- that's interesting.
0: Yeah, it kind of struck me that I, I only get like maybe one or two breaths post deployment because there's still a whole boatload of work to do managing that ecosystem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 So let's, uh, this is one of my favorite chapters. Let's talk about the future of analytics.
1: <laughs> yes. And,
0: and and I love the reference to uh, Larry and Mark. I went out and checked out their, uh, their sites and particularly uh mark's predictions but uh um do you um do you do you, do you have a kind of a futurist's framework or something
1: yeah i i well, i don't know if i have a futurist framework i certainly have strong opinions uh on what's going to happen uh you know i someone asked me the other day what i thought of explainable ai and, and their view was that that was something that was going to come in three to five years and i said no it's here today Uh We have explainable AI today. You know, there's a company called Weights and Measures that got $45 million yesterday for Mm -hmm. explainable AI. Mark Anderson's pattern computing company today delivers explainable AI. Mm -hmm. So you can run neural networks and and different kinds of analytical techniques and then apply analytics to the analytics, which is kind of funny. It's kind of Mm -hmm. like a snake eating its tail uh and and explain what's going on in these models it used to be that these networks and and things were so opaque and difficult to understand that we could not explain what was going on in there now we can we mm-hmm. can very clearly you know the black black boxes are becoming glass boxes so you know we will in the very near future 18 months to two years from now the regulators the sec the fda they will be changing to the point where you can use the highest predictive power uh, methodology possible, and you will be able to explain it. That's always been the problem is that you could have neural networks that could give you incredible predictive capability, but you couldn't explain how it got there. So you couldn't explain if it was was racist or if it was sexist or, you know, you just couldn't use it because you didn't know what was going on inside it. So now we are getting to the point where we have explainable AI. We are also getting to the point where we have true unsupervised learning, where we have the ability to troll through petabytes of segmented data made of a bunch of different data sources and come back and tell people, this is what's happening. This Mm -hmm. is the multi-factored, these are the multiple factors that are playing against each other. And this is how they're interacting to create these phenomena. We're Mm -hmm. seeing that in areas like breast cancer, colorectal cancer, prostate cancer, where some of those cancers that up to now have been thought of as as being untreatable, we now understand the constellation of genes that are causing those conditions. So soon we're gonna be able to knock down some of the problems that have been considered intractable in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we are really gonna see some real acceleration of insights over the next three to five years yeah and
0: uh, uh, and quantum computing why does that fascinate you
1: oh you know i'm a nerd i love so <laughs> rocketry and quantum computing and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff uh you know we 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 are seeing you know early services of quantum computing coming to be uh you know and, and i've i've always maintained that you know artificial general intelligence you know the dystopian future of the Skynet and the Terminator is mm-hmm. in 2250. But that assumes that quantum computing remains, you know, reasonably unuseful. Mm-hmm. Um, if quantum computing does leap forward and we can have coherence amongst large bits of large numbers of qubits, who knows? We may have, you know, artificial general intelligence in the next six to 10 years. It's hard to mm-hmm. say. Um it's a, it's a, you know, it's out there on the edge, and I love things
0: yeah. that are out there on the edge. Very cool, uh, Julie. I think we had a couple of questions. We have just yeah. a few minutes. Let's see if we can answer them.
2: We like things out on the edge too. Yep. <laughs> okay, Robert Ju- asks.
0: I have Julie on the edge all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a different kind of edge.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. So, um, Robert asks, how about organizations that have the roles combined? view the CDO and CAO as the same. Is that a bad idea, strategy?
1: Uh, I think it's difficult to serve two masters. Uh, and the CDO and the CAO really do have different purposes in life. You, you can be successful, uh, but you will be going slower than you could otherwise. And you must be absolutely clear you know, in your organization that the people who are doing the, you know, the systems, the transactional systems, the data management, and, and those kind of things are not advanced analytics professionals. So as a CDAO, you are going to have to manage two different organizations. They, they mm-hmm. cannot be the same. They, and if they are the same, you, you've you just committed the original sin. So mm-hmm. it's harder, uh, but it can be done. Yep.
0: Great. Okay. And one more?
2: Uh, we actually have two more if we have time. Okay. Minutes? We do. One per um, minute. One per minute. Talk oh, really fast, you guys. Uh, Todd asked um, how, uh, let's see, uh, the storytelling question. Let's see. He's asking how you, sorry, I thought I had it up there. Todd, Todd, Todd said, how many, um, how have you created the safe? And in- nope, we went through that one. Boy, your moderator. There it is. Okay. Can you also talk about how you've grown better data storytelling skills in people?
1: Sure. Practice. Uh, you know, just the, over the last few months, uh, I had a uh, speech coach come in and, and do presentation training and speech training for the data scientists. I also had a data visualization firm come in and do data viz training for all the data scientists. Very cool. And again, I did not attend any of that training because I didn't want to be, uh, you know, a, 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 a force for bad in, the, in that class. And, and everybody was happy about it. And they're, they're better storytellers for it. That's awesome. Raj, you got a question there, sir?
3: Yeah. Uh, so there was a, I'll follow up on the previous question and connect kind of this question as well. So, what we have noticed across the, uh, for the success of the advanced analytics is having efficient and able supply chains, data supply chains. And those data supply chains generally reside with under the aux of the CDOs. And Analytics officers are working on these analytical models to yield value for the business. And so, can you help us understand what your experience and what your thoughts are on making that efficient to have that efficient data supply chains be available for the analytical models to be yielding better results on and again and again?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Raj. You know, what we do is that we've worked hard on making sure that the data supply chains are automated and run every day. You know, that's kind of like keeping the trains on the tracks. You have to do that. And many people don't think about it. Uh, A lot of people think, oh, I'll ETL it once and I'll have some data and I'll work on it. Well, then they forget, you know, next week you're going to need more data and the week after that you're going to need more data. So we automate that from the beginning. We never do a one-off. And then when we build applications, we also automate all the data feeds to the models as well. And then the models into production. So, Automation is your friend. I heard someone the other day say, if you hate it, automate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is true, You know, because if you're an advanced analytics team and you don't automate these things, you will bog down over the weight of all that manual effort. So you must automate as much as you possibly can so you can continue to innovate and move forward. Yeah. Thank you, Jiraj. Great question.
3: If I may ask a continuing question on the same. Uh, There is this, in the offensive strategy of execution, you have this advanced data models, advanced models coming out to provide the results and at the same time, there's also descriptive analytics that comes in between. Uh, Has, how do, how does the two areas get flourished in the ecosystem to be not be constrained to each other?
1: Yeah, descriptive analytics, you know, kind of falls in the, the just above uh, dashboarding and reporting and just below predictive analytics. So we have our BI groups doing descriptive analytics, and we have our predictive team using descriptive analytics for exploratory data analysis. So used in the right area, there's no conflict. You know, there are tools that that both of those groups can use and be productive with.
0: Great. Right.
2: Right. Okay, one more. Do you have time for one more? We're over.
0: We're over. Do yep. Ahead. Okay, cool.
2: Debra, we unmuted you because you raised your hand. Hopefully it's a question, if you.
1: You're still muted, Deborah.
2: Okay, we'll see if she unmutes herself, but um, I'm yeah. gonna. No, I'm unmuted, Here go. sorry. There she is. I... <laughs> it, it's, a qu- it's not really a question that, it's a very basic question. I'm. I'm in my last part of my work life and I've always been a big follower of data so I'm fascinated by what you're talking about and Julie as you know I've been really fascinated with this whole subject but is there any way for a person um such as myself who has lots of experience but uh with, with different kinds of data throughout my lifetime to break into this kind of a field. I mean, I'm not a 20-year-old college student. I'm 61. And I'm fascinated by it. I want to work with data. I just have no idea where to start.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, there it's it's an interesting time, Deborah. You know, a lot of the barriers are, have been broken down. So, you know, we're we're hiring, you know, all sorts of people into the field. Um, as I said earlier, go to Kaggle.com, K-A-G-G-L-E.com and look at some of those exercises and, and see if that's something you actually enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, if, you, if you don't know how to program in Python, I suggest you go to Coursera and take the University of Michigan Intro to Python course. It's been taken by over a million people at this point. Uh, and then, you know, if you really think you want to do this, You can find a local not-for-profit that you can go out and help do some projects and understand their donors and the people that they serve, uh, get a few projects under your belt, apply for a junior data scientist job somewhere in your local area, and now I bet you'd be surprised at how many people will call you up.
2: Thank you. That's good
1: advice. Thank you.
0: That's great. All right, John, I have one final question. Sure. How How are we doing? Are we succeeding?
1: We are, uh, we're, we're, we're in fits and starts. Uh, we are succeeding in some areas. I think the leaders in most industries are succeeding. McKinsey's research shows that uh, the leading firms in these industries are hiring as many data scientists as they can. They're building all sorts of models, putting them into production, and they are actually accelerating away from the, the majority of the market. The early adopters uh, are, are doing okay with it. They're not doing as well as the leaders. The late majority are are still trying to figure out if they want to get involved, and the laggards are hopelessly falling behind. So mm-hmm. it's a mix.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also saw that there's an incredible demand for data science skills, uh, qualified data science skills, but there's a sh- noticeable shortage. Um, yeah. What 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 do we do? What's a new teaching model to get people skilled up?
1: I, I think I just outlined it with Deborah. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you know, you don't need to go to college for this stuff. I mean, if you're an analytical thinker, uh, you know, you might've been a, a violinist in the symphony, but if you think analytically, you could be a data scientist and, mm-hmm. you know, Microsoft and Amazon, I think just mm-hmm. dropped their requirement to have a four-year degree to have most technical roles. So we're in a new world at this point, and And we're looking at everybody who can contribute and who has the ability and the energy to work. So, you know, Deborah being a 61-year-old person is not a detriment at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need we need people. We need hundreds of thousands of more people than we have.
0: Yep, yep. Awesome. John Thompson, author of Building Analytic Teams. Go get yourself this book, folks. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal reference guide for you. Uh John, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your your thought leadership with us. Um incredibly valuable I've got a bunch of new brain wrinkles thank you sir <laughs> and you
1: take care my friend yeah I appreciate it thank you Julie have a great day yeah, everybody
2: yeah, if anyone has more questions I just put Mike's email down in the right hand corner feel free to reach out to him he knows how to get a hold of John mm-hmm. and so thanks for joining us today and go to our events page we have a bunch more good events coming up join us for the technology matters marathon too you'll love it
1: yep Okay, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.